Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today we're going to pick it up here in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Here is what Luke tells us. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaon, watch this, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is very simply this. The voice. The voice. Let's bow and pray. Lord, today we want to hear your voice. Lord, I pray that you would speak loudly and clearly. Holy Spirit, I pray for a word from the word today that would change our hearts and our minds And Lord, we know that you're going to be faithful to speak, but Lord, I pray that you would inspire us today to hear, to listen. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to feel, and a resolve to do the will of God. Come on, can we just lift our hands for a minute just before the Lord? Come on, let's lift our hands. Lord, right now, we lift our hands, and Lord, we ask that you would create good soil in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to produce 30 or 60, but Lord, we want to produce 100-fold. And so, Lord, today, by your Spirit, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you do signs, wonders, and miracles through us, God? Lord, would you use us to get a name for yourself in Acadiana? Lord, would you use us to, to advance your kingdom in the earth? And so, God, we, we open up our hearts. We open up our minds to you. Say what you want to say. We receive your word today. In Jesus' incredible name, everyone said Amen and amen. All right. Well, I love how this chapter begins. Uh, Luke tells us that the church at Antioch was gifted. There were prophets and there were teachers. The church there was very diverse in the gifting. Uh, These were not the only gifts. I know there there were many others, but he highlights these two, that there were prophets and there were teachers, those who could prophesy, those who could teach. But then, look, he goes on to give us this list uh, of men who were present at this church. And I just want to go over this briefly with you because I believe the Lord wants to speak something directly to us about this. First of all, uh, he mentions this man named Barnabas. Y'all remember Barnabas from last Sunday? Barnabas was the what? The son of encouragement. He's the one that I, I, I was kidding around, but it kind of like Joel Osteen. He's the guy walking around, big teeth, big smile, just encouraging everybody. He could help but to encourage people, right? But, but Barnabas, watch this, Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus, okay? But we also see this man called Simeon. Simeon, check this out. Simeon was from Africa, And Simeon was probably the Simon of Cyrene who helped to carry Jesus' cross. Y'all remember that story in the Gospels? 
So Simeon, he's called here. Some scholars believe it was actually Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross. So this particular man is from Africa. But then we have Lucius of Cyrene, who was from North Africa. Come on, that's pretty cool, huh? So you've got Barnabas, who's a Jew. You've got two men from where? From Africa. Then you've got Saul. Fourthly, who, of course, we know Saul. Saul was the Jew uh, who formerly persecuted the church, who wreaked havoc uh, on the church. I remember Saul. We're going to talk about him more in days to come. But here, look at what we have. We have a list of men, some of whom hindered Jesus some who helped Jesus, but we see all these different people from different backgrounds all together, so to speak, under one roof, serving the same God. How many of y'all know that's a picture of redemption? That Look, in this room, we got people from all kind of different walks of life. We've got white people and we've got black people. We've got people from all over. We've got rich people. We've got poor people. We've got some people who've been serving Jesus for a long time. And we've got some people who've been serving Jesus for only a short time. But come on, y'all. Here we are together with hands lifted on a Sunday morning, praising the God who took us, who brought us, who delivered us, all here together. As the body of Christ. Some of y'all know that's a picture of redemption. That's a picture. This is a picture of diversity. And thank God I've asked for a lot of things in a church. But at the very top of my list, Lord, give us a diverse church. Thank God he's answered our prayers. Thank God that we have a diverse church. Look around at your brothers and sisters. Look at everyone. I mean, this is amazing. Did y'all know this is a picture of heaven? Let me say it one more time. Did y'all know this is a picture of heaven? Black brothers and black sisters, white sisters. Come on, we got all kinds right here in our church. But we also see here at Antioch that this was a very diverse church. I love that there were Africans. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. But let, let, let me point out something else here before we move on. Uh, one, one person in particular really stood out here. And his name is Manaon. Has anyone here ever heard someone preach on Manaon? Let me be the first. Check this out. Manaon, we are told, check it out, was lifelong friends with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, that can be very problematic. Okay, Manaon went all the way back. Herod the Tetrarch was Herod Antipas. Okay, just so you know, Herod Antipas was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod Antipas is the one who mocked Jesus and ridiculed Jesus. He was the one who in the Gospels, if you remember when Pilate consulted him, there was this trial going on before they put Jesus on the cross. Herod was right there in the middle of it. Okay, So Manaon was lifelong friends, a foster child in the same home with Herod the Tetrarch. Now how many of y'all know growing up with someone like that could scar you for life? I mean, who'd you grow up with? The guy that's beheading people. But they were lifelong friends, in a sense, family, grew up in the same family. Watch this. Same home, same upbringing, but different directions in life. You see, Herod mocked Jesus. Manaon served Jesus. How many of y'all know? That, I mean, this is a beautiful contrast of the grace of God. Because by, 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 by external means, you think, well, they're raised in the same home. Uh, Herod was dysfunctional. So you would think Manaon would be as well. But how many of y'all know that your family does not have the final say in your outcome? 
Maybe some of y'all grew up in jacked up homes. Maybe you've got some friends that are a little bit suspect. Listen to me. All of that can have an influence on you. And raise your hand if you've got some friends from the past that, that Lord, you can't talk about too long because if you do, you will. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I got some friends like that. And if you would judge my, 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 my future based on who I walked with in the past, I should still be doing keg stands. I should still be in the bar. I should still be serving the devil. But how many of y'all know God had different plans for me? How many of y'all know God had different plans for you? Maybe, maybe you were raised walking with some, some, some suspect people. Maybe you're raised in the wrong home. Listen to me. Listen to me. Write this down if you're taking notes. Your faith in Jesus not your past failures, not your family, not your friends. Your faith in Jesus determines your future. Jesus determines your future in him alone. So listen to me, you don't have to follow in their footsteps, whoever they are. Maybe you walk closely with people who are messed up. Listen, today you can break free from that pattern. You can break free from those mindsets and you can serve the living God. Can I get an amen? Because you know it's true because you broke free and you're walking for God. Some of you here, you know exactly what this looks like. But listen to me, it doesn't matter what house you were born into. When you get born again, you're born again into a new family. Though your father, though your mother forsake you, the Lord will take you in and raise you up and use you for his glory. If you don't believe me, just ask Manaon. So we see these, these men here at the church in Antioch. And I could write a whole message just on this fellow, but I'm going to move on. Look at this. Uh, listen to what Luke tells us about the church at Antioch. Listen carefully. It says here uh, in, in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord... And fasting. Come on, Cajuns, we hate that word, don't we? Like, is that a textual variant? What is that? That shouldn't be in the Bible. While they were worshiping the Lord and abstaining from food, the Holy Spirit did what? He spoke. He said. Now, I'm not even going to ask if I can teach y'all because I say it everywhere. Let me teach y'all for a minute. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to teach y'all. You ready? All right. Okay. So write this down. If you're taking notes, when you look in the Bible, especially the New Testament, you're going to see, you're going to see a couple different words, Greek terms that translate to the English word worship. Okay, let me, let me teach you this. So like, for example, in Matthew 28, verse 17, the Bible says that Jesus' disciples worshiped him. Okay, now the Greek term underneath our English word worship is this, proskuneo. Can y'all say that with me? Pros kaneo. Pros, say it one more time. Pros kaneo. Um, see it up there? Pros kaneo. Okay. This term is defined as follows from this uh, Greek lexicon. This term is used to designate the custom of prostrating oneself before persons. Notice, notice what it says. And kissing their feet or the hem of their garment, the ground, etc. Uh, the idea here is when you proskuneo, the idea is of, of one falling down, prostrate, of showing a sense of honor and respect. Uh, some define it as kissing the ring of the king, 
kissing the, the feet of the king. It's, it's going low in the presence of someone who in your eyes is really high and big. Are you with me? So if you would, if you would proskuneo, you would go before the king and you would bow and you would bow because you, you, you saw the king's great worth and you would respond with a certain action, as I've just described, kissing, prostrating oneself, etc. Okay, so that's what the disciples did in Matthew 28, verse 17. They saw Jesus, they're with Jesus, and they proskuneo, they, 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 they went low, and they, they, they realized his great worth and responded accordingly. Okay, that's a lot like what we just did in worship through song earlier. When you came in earlier, what, what was going on? Well, train alley, we're up praying, introducing the moment, then taking us into a time of when you go into worship. Listen to me. Let me teach y'all. When we worship through song, it is our attempt to ascribe to God the worth that is due his name and his character. Listen to me. You you worshiping God, that does not add to God's value. Worship is the recognition of his value. And so when you realize who God is, you come in and at times you can't help but to go low as he goes high. Are you with me? So the aim is to come in here and even in our discipleship groups, and I'm going to show you all through life, it's to go, to go low, to show respect and to show honor, to kiss the ring of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are y'all with me? So that's what we do through song. Okay, that's what we did this morning. So we're, we're not adding to God's worth. We're recognizing God's great worth. Now, oftentimes I'll hear things like, well, man, Pastor Scott, worship was incredible on Sunday. And what people usually mean by that is, well, the right song was sung, the right note was hit, and the right emotion was felt. You ever done that? You ever thought that way? Am I describing your experience? Man, they sang my song. Anybody? Like three. Okay, we got to do a better job with the set list. Anybody? Yeah. And, and you, you feel something, right? How many of y'all feel something in worship when you're, I mean, you're really in the moment? You're kissing the ring. You're recognizing for his word. You, you're going to feel something. Listen, that's all, that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But my fear is in the church, we have reduced worship to a song that we sing, a note that we hit, and an experience that we have. Listen to me, worship will involve those things. But worship is not primarily those things. Worship primarily is prostrating oneself in the presence of God, if not with your physical body, certainly in your heart, and making an, a, a, a logical, visceral response to the God that you serve. That's worship. And so, yes, you can worship here through song. Yes, thank God the right notes are hit. Thank God that we have an emotional response, but that's founded upon the, the, the revelation of who God is. And if you come in and have a feeling and you sing the song and you don't really know God, that's not really worship. It doesn't matter how loud it is, how clear it is. It doesn't matter what the song is. Come on, y'all. It's about God himself being exalted in this place. Are y'all with me? So, so... We should not restrict or reduce worship to something we do in a Sunday morning service. Rather, it's something that takes place every time we bow our hearts before the Lord and surrender to Him. So, what is worship? According to Proskuneo, well, I'm glad you asked. It's not just songs, but it's surrender. It's not just platforms, but altars in your life. It's not just Sundays, but every day. It's not just worshiping God with your lips, but living a lifestyle of worship that shows that God is the most important thing in your life. 
Are y'all tracking? So I'm not going to sin and do that because I'm serving the great God of all worth. Why would I give up that to have that? So every time you proskuneo, it's the moment where you recognize God for who he is. And you can't help but respond, right? Are y'all with me? So everybody say proskuneo. Unfortunately, that's not the term used in Acts 13 too. Then why are we here, Pastor Scott? Okay, let me, let me show you this. I had to say that to say this. I can't help myself. In Acts 13, 2, the term is, here it is. Letergeo. Y'all want to try that one with me? Letergeo. I'll say it for you. And this term, according to BDAG, is this. Uh, to render special, formal service. Serve. Serve. Look at this. Render service of cultic or ritual responsibilities. Now we're going to another level. The church at Antioch, we were told, that was the action, that is what was happening here in this particular moment. This term is used in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 11, it translates into a different English word, but here it is. And every priest stands daily at his service. The word service there underneath that is letergeo, all right? Service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going back. By the way, I'm about to teach through the book of Hebrews on, uh, what is it, Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, uh, October uh, 16th, right here at the Midtown Campus. You can register for that online. I'm going to go through the whole book, so come. It's going to be awesome. Raise your hand if you've been to my intentions before. Okay, come. It's going to be awesome. But here in Hebrews, the writer is referring back to the Old Covenant, obviously, talking about the priest who, who went before God. They offered what? Service, but what? As they served, they offered sacrifices. No trick questions. And they offered the sacrifices. It says over and over and over again, repeatedly. Now, I, I, the writer here is very, very frustrating for some because it says this. The priest did this offering sacrifices, services over and over and over, which can never take away what? Now, that's a frustrating ministry. You mean I'm doing this over and over and over again and it doesn't work? <laughs> I'm talking about frustrating. But the point here of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, and the point of the sacrificial system, that system was never in place to really take away sin. It was a picture of the need for redemption. It was a picture for the need of atonement. Y'all know what atonement means? It means at one meant. There was a picture provided for us in the scriptures of the priest going before God, offering sacrifices. In doing so, that represented the need for us to have a, medi a mediator between us and God. But how many of y'all know there's no human mediator who can reconcile us to God? We need the one from heaven, not the one from earth, not the one down the street in the church. We need the high priest, Jesus, from heaven who went before God. He didn't need to go in repeatedly over and over and over again. No, based on the one sacrifice, he laid down his life. He said before he died, it's finished. And because of his finished work, you're not just free, you're free indeed. Not just from sin, but to enter into the presence of God. The priests going over and over and over again. They just, their work never stops. But Jesus, 
He performed his work on the cross. He died. He bled. He went to heaven. He ascended. His work's done. And now because of Jesus, look, look at what Hebrews 10, 12 says. But when Christ had offered for all time, how many sacrifices? A single one for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Come on, y'all. He's sitting right now, ruling and reigning. His work for your redemption is done. Y'all tracking? So here in the church at Antioch, they're serving. But they're not serving this way because only Jesus could do this. Because of Jesus, they had direct access to God. Do you know that today you have direct access to God because of him? You can't work your way into his presence. Well, I got to go clean up. No, you come to Jesus. Yes, you need to repent of your sins. Not just when you get saved, but how, come on. Come on, man. We're, we should be professional repenters. Husbands, just get up and say, I'm sorry, because you did something. Come on, wives. Is it true? Just get in the habit. Repentance is a good word, but we have an allergic reaction to it. No, it's grace. No, yeah, grace, grace. I've talked about this, empowers you to do what? To live a holy life. But you can't work your way into God's presence so that God will accept you. You have faith in him. You turn from sin. And if you place your faith in him, you have direct, direct access to the Father. Come on, y'all. Jesus came from heaven to the earth, from the Father to us, to reconcile us to the Father by the power of the Spirit. And so today we can freely enjoy God's presence because of the service, the letrgeo of Jesus. But that's not really the meaning here in this text. <laughs> it's kind of there. You say, Pascal, you're killing me. <laughs> what's going on here? Here's what's going on here. Yes, they did adore Jesus in this setting. Of course. Proskuneo is involved. But the term used means this, that the church got together and they served the Lord. They ministered to the Lord by ministering to one another. Did you know when you minister to your brothers and your sisters, when you take care of them, when you bless them, when you use your gift to build them up, did you know that that is an act of worship. Now you say, well, I probably, I've never thought about it that way. Did you know, ushers? Raise your hand if you're an usher. Yeah, that, okay. I need some more ushers. <laughs> Men, step up. I need some more ushers. Hey, ushers, raise your hand. I have two, three. Okay. Men, I, I need some men to step up and usher. Four. When you ush, you are ushing for the glory of God and the good of Midtown. So don't think, well, I'm just opening the door. And when you serve the Lord, you are ministering to him. When you serve the Lord through serving people, you are ministering to him. When you access him directly and spend time, you are ministering to him. But when you, when you bless people, when you serve people with your giftings, did you know that that is an act of worship? That is an act of your devotion to God into his people. Here, here's what I love about the, the church at Antioch. It's very clear. This church was not built on the gifting of one. This church involved the gifting of many. And how many of y'all know that's what church should look like? I've said it for years here. 
My aim is not to build a campus around my personality or my teaching gift. I'm going to give you all and probably more than you can handle. My job is not to just to do this. My job is to raise people like him and others of you in this place to do exactly what God's called you to do. So it is he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you know my job isn't to do the ministry? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's one thing if I do ministry. It's another thing in rain and all across the, this area where you get into communities, you start doing the work of the ministry and watch how the work of God explodes in this area and the glory of God comes. Are, are, y'all, are y'all tracking? You feeling this? So what we see here at Antioch is that there were prophets and teachers. I'm sure there were evangelists. Y'all, y'all know what evangelists do, don't you? I mean, we can all evangelize, but there's the gift of evangelism. Those who have it, they cause the church to um, blow up with, with numbers, right? Churches blow up. Evangelists cause the church to blow up. Teachers and prophets help the church grow up. How many of y'all know we need both? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Evangelists, they, they catch them. Teachers, we what? We clean them. And how many of y'all know you need both in the church to do the work of God and to accomplish the mission of God? What am I saying? I, y'all need me. I need you. And I'm not just talking about some. Wouldn't it be amazing if each and every one of you knew your spiritual gift and were using those gifts regularly in the church and in the community? What? Just dream with me. What if we were all fired up, filled with the Spirit of God, using our gifts in this community? I think some of y'all are. But some of you haven't gotten it just yet. Listen, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, please go to our next steps slash membership process every Sunday at 1030, right to those doors to your left. Come and discover what your gift is. Did you know you all have at least one spiritual gift? Did you know that? Some of you have many gifts. Some of you, watch, some of you are afraid to step out. You're afraid because you don't know what to do. Let me tell you what I told the Broussard campus five years ago. It is better to do something by faith than nothing because of fear. Just do something. Just take your next steps. Just start moving in the direction of obedience. Say, here am I, God, use me. Just show up your greatest Ability at that point is your availability to say, Pastor Scott, Jesus, if you need me to ush, I'm going to ush. If you need me to serve in this way, I'm just going to do it. Look, just show up, just start serving, and then God will make it clear what your gifting is. Are y'all with me? Like, this is so practical. What, what, what do you want me to do? Go to next steps and take your next step in serving Jesus. Because see, when you serve others, you're serving the Lord. When you bless others, you're blessing the Lord. That's what church is all about. Can I get an amen? Amen. But Luke tells us that they, let me move out of that. They waited on the Lord and they prayed. And here's that word again, that dirty word. And they fasted. And as they did, the Spirit spoke to them and said this, verses 2 and 3. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I'm teaching you all the Bible. Are y'all, are y'all tracking what's going on here? Church in Antioch, big numbers. There are prophets, there are teachers. 
You got this encourager here. You got these others who are given prophetic words. They're all together. They're worshiping. They're serving one another. Not just recognizing God's worth with their lips, but serving him with their lives. They're all together. And it was in that context that God spoke. How many of y'all know if we get together and we serve the Lord, we busy ourselves with serving the Lord. Listen, it will be extremely easy to hear the voice of the Lord. When you fast, when you deny yourself food, when you take that season for prayer and fasting, it is impossible to miss the voice of God in your life. We see this happening here. And this isn't the first time the Spirit spoke in Acts. You remember in Acts chapter 8? The Spirit spoke to Philip and said, go to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit spoke to Peter, Acts 10. And Peter went down and recognized that the men from Cornelius' house were there. The Spirit spoke through Agabus in Acts chapter 11. And Agabus predicted the great famine that covered the world. You remember that? And now he's, he, the Spirit speaking again, saying, set apart Barnabas and Saul for this specific work. We see it going on again here in this chapter. We're going to see it throughout the book of Acts. Now, we see the Spirit speaking here in Acts. That's undeniable. It's clear. But the question is, what about today? What about today? Is God speaking by His Spirit today? Well, I think I know what y'all believe about this. Did y'all know that there are some who say this? They say that, well, the Spirit spoke directly to these men in the book of Acts because these men, the early church, did not have a complete New Testament. So the Spirit had to speak to tell them what to do because they didn't have chapter and verse. Does that make sense? Yes, but no, right? Are you all with me? They say, well, they, they didn't have the completed Bible. And it's true, the Bible's not fully, the New Testament fully canonized until what, 396, Council of Carthage. Uh, that's later, 4th century. But the documents of the New Testament were written all through the 1st century. Last one, probably the Revelation, uh, around 95 AD. But they didn't have a complete New Testament at this point. So some say that the Spirit spoke directly in spite of that, because of that. Okay? And so today people will say, well, okay. Today, on the other side, we have the complete New Testament. We have the whole Bible. So we don't need the Spirit to speak to us the way they did then. Does that make sense? That's the way some like to argue. Here's my viewpoint. Y'all want to know what I think? I'm going to tell you anyway. Here it is. God has given us both the Scriptures and the Spirit to guide us. We have the written Word of God, thank God, and the inner witness of the Spirit to lead us and to guide us through our lives. And aren't you glad about that? Because how many of y'all know there is no, this twofold paradigm helps us because the Bible doesn't tell you whether or not you should get the vaccine. Did you know that? Did he say that? Yeah, let me talk about this for a second. Brace yourselves. Did you know the Bible does not tell you who to marry? Did you know the Bible does not tell you what kind of house to buy? Did you know the Bible does not speak directly or explicitly to most of the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis? Are you all with me? There is no scripture, there is no chapter, there is no verse on vaccinations. 
So, Pastor Scott, what do we do? Well, I mean, God could have given us, given us a very long book called the Bible that literally addresses every decision we would ever make. How many of y'all know it would be so long no one could ever read it? So, Pastor Scott, then how do we, how do we hear God's voice? How do we discern what, what God is saying? How, how, do we, how do we tap into that? Yeah, y'all remember the old televisions? Y'all are going to date yourselves on this. You remember the, the box TVs? Y'all remember those? And there was no such thing at that time as a remote. At least not the one we had. Maybe it got lost. We didn't have a remote. We weren't rich. We had the box TV. Come on, old people. You remember that? And if the signal wasn't coming in right, what would you do? You had them big nasty antennas. You'd, go, would you'd get up, wouldn't you? And you would what? Adjust the antennas. And if that didn't work, where would you go? The kitchen to get what? Come on, aluminum foil. Aluminum foil always saved the day. Different strokes, couldn't watch it without the foil. Y'all remember those days? You got to kind of, and you go sit down, and because of where you're sitting, it messes up again, and you got to go back and then put some more foil. By the time you're done, your TV's wrapped in foil. (laughs) Y'all remember those days? Young people, bless your hearts. YouTube it or Google it, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Um, how do we tune into heaven? How, how do we hear God's voice? How do we do that? Because if there's any voice that I want to hear, it's his. I appreciate yours, but I really need to hear his. So how do we discern, how do we discern God's voice? If you're taking notes, write this down. I've got two points and we're done. Truthfully. Now these two points could take a while. So don't, <laughs> let me just get to it. Write this down if you're taking notes. If we want to discern God's voice, then we must read, study, and meditate upon his written word. You have to start there. You have to start there. Did you know the same spirit who spoke to the church in Antioch is the same spirit who worked through men over time to write scripture? How many of y'all know there's only one Holy Spirit? And, and he, the, the spirit is not a mist or a vapor, or some abstract personality. He is, the, he is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, the Spirit. He is God. The Spirit who spoke to the prophets at Antioch is the same Spirit who, watch this, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were, here the words, Carried along by the whom? By the Holy Spirit. Whoa. So, in other words, prophecy didn't come from man. It wasn't like Isaiah or Jeremiah just jumped up and said, Thus saith the Lord, but it was really them. It wasn't their will. It wasn't their desires. It was the Spirit at work in the prophets. Check it out. Picture this with me. A boat with a sail. And the boat's in the water. And the boat needed a direction. It needed a course, and it needs some movement. Well, if men were like the boat with the sail, the Spirit was like the wind, who came and blew in their sails, and not only moved them forward to speak for God and write for God, but the wind of the Spirit moved those men to write down the exact words that God wanted them to, that, wanted, uh, that He wanted them to write down. Like exactly, like perfectly. So if you picture a ship with the sail, the Spirit's like the wind, moving them. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, I don't trust the Bible because it was written by men. Well, 
ultimately, the Bible was produced by the Spirit of God working in men. If it was just men apart from God, I wouldn't trust the Bible either. But the Bible tells us that the words of Scripture didn't come from man's own, like jumping up and going, I got an idea, I'm going to say this about God. It was the Spirit of God moving in their cells to, again, to inspire them to write exactly what He wanted them to write and to say exactly what He wanted them to say. Now, this was by the power of the Spirit. Here's what I want you to think about. Whenever you read your Bible... And not just read it, but you open it up and you devour it, you read it, and you do it with faith. I mean, y'all know it doesn't, it doesn't work just to read it. You've got to read it and believe it. When you read that word and you believe that word, it's like the Spirit of God is blowing. Like you've got this sail, you're throwing at the sail. God, move me. The Spirit will move you straight into the will of God. Every time you read the Word of God, when you read the Word and you meditate on the Word and you obey it, you are headed straight toward the will of God. So the Word of God will never mislead you. It will never get you off course. If you will listen to the word and obey the word, the word will help you stay on course. For me, I started this, God started, I should say, 21 years ago. And today I'm still on course. The wind of God is still blowing. And I'm I'm on the same course that I started 21 years ago. Why? Because I'm listening to the voice of God. I made a lot of dumb decisions. The smartest thing I can do is listen to the voice of God. When you listen to the voice of God, the Spirit will move you in the right direction. When you read the Word, when you're sensitive to the Spirit. And by the way, it's not just about speed, it's about direction. You say, I don't feel like I'm I'm moving that fast. Just thank God you're moving in the right direction. Thank God you're taking your next step. You're just making the next Spirit-inspired, faith-informed decision. One after another. Pastor Scott, what do we need in this hour? We're in the end times. What do we need? Some people getting underground bunkers and stocking up with food and water. And that's fine if you want to do that. I'll be at your house. If, uh, <laughs> y'all with me? So y'all do that. And I'll be over when the time comes. Pastor Scott, what do we really need? Here's what we really need. We need a Christian worldview. Let me say it again. What do you need more than anything right now? You need a Christian worldview. So what's that? It's a way of viewing the world. I'm very alarmed that there are many Christians in the church who are in the church and claim to be in Christ, but do not have a Christian worldview. How do you get a Christian worldview? You get a Christian worldview by having a consistent word view. Getting in the Bible every day to discern the will of God for your life. And I'm not talking about a little snack here and there. I'm not talking about just Sundays. I'm talking about feasting on the word every day of your life. Listening to teachings. Getting in it to find out what God is saying. Because see, when you get in the word and you believe the word, the word changes everything as it relates to your perspective. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. 
It's been said that perspective is not just what you see, it's the way you see it. It's not just what I see, it's the way that I see you. I see you through the lens of the word. I see my beautiful wife through the lens of the word. I see this community through the lens of the word. I see every decision I make through the lens of the word of God. Let me take this a little further. So, how do you get a Christian worldview? Well, I've said it. You read the Bible. You believe the Bible. You get in classes. You go to Sunday school. You come to my Hebrews intensive. All that. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He just said you can know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? If the, the Bible doesn't say get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. The Bible doesn't say get this house or that. The Bible doesn't address those things directly. So how do you know what decision to make? How? You get a renewed mind. You get in the word. The spirit and the word work together to, to cleanse your mind. How many of y'all know we've all got some stinking thinking that we got to get rid of? Renew your mind. Your mind is like a sponge. If you're to take a sponge that's dirty, filled with dirt, put it in water, and then wring it out, what's going to come out? Water. But what kind of water? Dirty water. If you take that same sponge, go in again, you dip it in with it, and you wring it out, what's going to come out? Water that's still a little bit, but it's getting... That's right. If you go another time and you take that sponge, you go into the Word, you get fresh water, then you go in, you continue to wring that sponge out, what's going to happen? It's going to be clean water. How many of y'all know we need to run our minds through the rinsing, through the lather, through the water of the word every single day to wash out the impurities of this world? And it's not a one-time deal. You say, well, I tried it. It didn't work. You've got to go every day. You've got to meet with God every day. Come on, you can't fight the onslaught of the enemy successfully by reading the word once a week. Or going to church once a week. How I many of y'all know you've got to get in it every day to stay afloat and to survive in the flood of dissipation of this culture? You need the word to transform your mind. And then when, you're, when your mind is transformed, when your mind is renewed according to Paul, then you can discern the will of God. Look at what it says. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I don't need a scripture and a verse and a chapter for every decision possible in my life. I need a renewed mind. I need to see the world the way God does. And when I get that, then I make a quality decision on on the basis of what I know from the word and on the basis of a, watch this, pure, clean conscience. Martin Luther said, I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the word. I'm here. I will not recant. I can do no other. I'm standing on the word. And he said this, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. But you've got to make sure your conscience is informed by the word of God. And then you make decisions by faith. Does that make sense? By faith, you make decisions. You move forward trusting that you've heard from God because you've been in his written word. That is 100% accurate. 
that is 100% inspired, that is 100% binding on your lives. Are y'all with me? So, we begin with the written word. Nothing can replace the written word of God. Nothing. No prophet. I don't care how gifted the prophet is. If any prophet comes through and what he says contradicts the written word of God, I'm sorry, bro, you're wrong. I don't care how big his name is, how many followers he has. If I, if you, if we, if he contradicts the word of God, he's wrong, not the scriptures. We're wrong, not the scriptures. Y'all good? Okay, I had to say that to say this. Number two, and then we're done. Read the word, obey the word, and you'll hear from God as you do. But the same spirit who inspired the scriptures is the same spirit who urges us, prompts us, and guides us in the day-to-day affairs of our lives. And if we will pray and fast, put aside the things of the world, and lean in, you will hear God speak to you about decisions in your life. And when I say hear, I'm not really talking about an audible voice. Now, I don't even want you to raise your hand on this. I know some people say, I heard God speak to me. God can do whatever he wants. Lord, obviously, you're free to do whatever you want. So I'm gonna let my words be few on this, but very, be very careful. God, you can do whatever you want. It can be audible. You are God. But what I see in the scriptures is that when we say God has spoken to us, and we're not talking about the word of God, normally, see if this is true for your experience. Normally, we're, we're thinking about and talking about an impression that he makes on our hearts. Isn't that what you normally think about? And we use this word, we have to be careful. We feel the spirit you ever said that before? Have you ever felt the Spirit moving you to do something? Well, apparently all through church history, men and women have felt the Lord, sensed the Lord moving them. And I'm really glad that they were listening. I'm really glad William Carey, the founder of the Modern Missions Movement, was listening. I'm really glad that Charles Finney and Charles Spurgeon and John Wesley and the greats of old from Billy Graham all the way back to the church fathers were leaning in to listen to the Holy Spirit. Just recently, y'all know the story, at least part of it. My my 11-year-old niece passed away. Y'all remember the story? I didn't tell the whole thing. Let me share a little bit of the story behind the story then we're going to wrap up. So we were in Nashville, Tennessee for a week. We were going to go from Monday to the following Monday. Whole family, seven of us, if you include the dog, got in the Tahoe, drove to Nashville. I haven't seen my dad, my sister who lived there in like several years. The last time I saw my dad was in the Netherlands when he and my sister flew over to sit front row when I defended my dissertation. The joke was to see my parents or to see my dad, I have to go to the Netherlands. And so we took the family trip and went up there, had a great time Monday through Friday, and I guess it was Friday afternoon, we were contemplating how long we were going to stay. It was going to be Monday. But 
I was trying to get us another place to stay to go from one, this one place that was booked to another place. And, and I just got this like overwhelming sense that we were supposed to leave Nashville and go to see Kelly's parents in Texarkana. Her parents live there. Her brother lives there, of course. Nieces, nephews, everybody lives in Texarkana from her side of the family. And so I'm outside, got the computer out. I'm looking for places to book us through Monday because, again, we only had it booked through Friday. Had to find another place to get us through Monday. I'm looking for a place. And I'm, it just, just the way I describe it in the moment, it just this impression, this, this sense came upon me that we we're supposed to leave, which did not make sense because I haven't seen my dad in years. We're in the time of our lives. But I walked inside. Kelly was in bed. And I said, hey, baby, I can't explain all this, but we're not supposed to be here any longer. She said, what? I said, we are supposed to leave Nashville and go to your parents before we go back to Lafayette. And she's like, are you sure? I said, I'm as sure as anything in my life that we are not supposed to stay. So she listened. She leaned in, listened, and then Saturday we got up, spent the day with my dad's sister, and we drove from Nashville to Texarkana. The next morning then was Sunday, so we left on Saturday, got there Saturday. Sunday morning came around. The cousins came over to Kelly's parents' house. My niece came over. I was in the bedroom most of the day because I had a migraine, but Kelly, the girls, all the kids had the time of their lives all Sunday afternoon. And then that night, my Presley, my oldest girl, went to spend the night with her cousin, with Hannah. That night, had a Bible study with Hannah, my 11-year-old niece. Had a Bible study with her. I don't know what you were doing at 10 years old, but I was not having Bible studies with anybody. Y'all with me? My Presley led Hannah in a Bible study and said, Hannah, I want you to close your eyes with me. They closed their eyes and they imagined heaven together. Hannah, I want you to just imagine heaven with me. They had music playing and they, in the presence of God, envisioned heaven. Well, Presley came back the next day, next morning. That night, Little Hannah walked down the hall to kiss her parents goodnight. Did so, turned around, walked away, and then right there, dropped dead. Dropped dead. No warning, no sign, nothing leading up to that that would ever signal any type of health problems. My 11-year-old niece just dropped I believe it was in her living room. They ran the autopsy and it came back inconclusive. There was nothing in the medical report that would, that would enable them to say it was this or that that caused her death. She, they said she just died. I don't know what Hannah envisioned when she thought of heaven. But how many of y'all know 
A day later when she died, she got to see heaven firsthand. And whatever she saw firsthand, we imagine, we dream. How many of y'all know none of that can do justice to the reality of truly being in God's presence? She saw God. She met God the next day. Now think about this story. Now think about God. What's going on in this story? And it all makes sense in retrospect, doesn't it? Because we're in Nashville. We had no plans to go initially, but God put this impression on my heart. So we drove. Not only did Presley get to spend her final moments with Hannah, not only did she lead her in a Bible study, not only did they envision heaven together, but my family got to spend the last 24 hours on earth with this little girl before she passed. I don't know what y'all call that. I call that God. How many of y'all know? He sure wasn't the devil. I can't even explain it all. All I know is God said go. It was like the wind of God was in my cell moving me from Nashville to Texarkana. It did not make sense, but I knew that I had to obey God. Are y'all with me? And I sailed right into Texarkana. We got to spend those final moments with her. Today she's in heaven. And I look back and the question that we ask oftentimes is, Pastor Scott, how did you know? How did you know that was God? How did you know to leave? How did you know to go? Well, here's my answer. This is my best answer as I'm still processing this. The reason I knew that I was supposed to leave is because I did not have a peace about staying. I didn't have a peace about staying. Listen to me carefully. This is a rule that I live by. I'll let my peace determine my pace. And if I don't have the peace of God about something, I'm not moving. I'm not moving until God has spoken to me clearly. And as clearly as I could ever discern it, he spoke to my heart and I began to move in the direction he was blowing me in. Some of y'all are facing some real difficult situations right now. You're trying to discern this way or that way. Listen to me. Let the peace of God determine your pace. Let the peace of God, watch this, which transcends all understanding. Oh, it doesn't make sense. It's not even logical to you, but it's the peace of God that you get that moves you forward. And y'all know when you move forward with the peace of God, it doesn't matter if it's hell around you. When you've got heaven within you and you've got the peace of God, even when it doesn't make sense circumstantially, you know that God's in it and that's all that matters. Y'all with me? You have to be careful to not be led by a feeling. But the church at Antioch, they heard the voice of God, but even after they prayed and they fasted, they adjusted the antennas into the will of God and then they walked in it. Let's be that kind of church. Sensitive to the Spirit. Proskuneo. Bowing. Prostrating. Recognizing God's great worth. Laitugeo. Serving the Lord by serving one another. As we do, God will speak. As He speaks, we'll obey and the glory of God will cover this community as the waters cover the sea.